at One Life at all, you hear us use that phrase all the time. What does it mean in our day-to-day life? We're going to learn how that applies to this word discipleship today. And the series is going to go for a long time, all the way through the summer. Because uh, what you're going to find today is I have way more content that I would like to say in the parameters of time that I have to share with you. Um, and I had to keep telling myself over again, no, that's another week. That's a different sermon. No, 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 no. And, um, and I'm going to just tell you right now there's a good chance I'm going to overwhelm you with content. So just get ready. Um, I also want you to know, if you have your Bible, you want to grab it. Um, I don't know, some of you may remember the days where you'd go to church and you'd bring your Bible. Like, that seems like a long time ago. Uh, We would love, as we enter into this season, to invite you to continue to bring your Bible. Um, If you are one of those people that likes to use an app, awesome if you actually use it. If you're like me, you have like three apps on your phone and you never use it. Um, So I want to encourage you to do that because why not we be a church that's known for bringing their Bibles to church? That doesn't seem too crazy. And as we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about understanding God's Word. And uh, let's get into it. And one of the other things that came up as we were talking about this, um, there's all these studies that actually talk about the impact actually having paper in front of you and, and turning pages and being able to write and highlight things and, and make notes and things like that. Um, even just memory, when we look at a page and we write something and then later come back, it has a different type of impact. And so we're just talking about that, inviting you to do that. And I wish I could tell you we have a bunch of Bibles for you to use today. We don't, um, but we are in the process of making that available. So if you don't have a Bible in the next couple of weeks, we'll have those um, available if you forget them and things like that. So there you go. As we begin this series, though, it's important that we lay this foundation. What does this mean? What does this word disciple mean that predates Jesus How do we understand it? What did it mean at the time of Jesus? And what's the difference between the word disciple and Christian? Because in our culture, it's really confusing. A lot of times we we use the same word and, and make it mean the same thing. And I don't actually believe that's true. And I really want us to hear, as Greg and I have been talking about this series, we're kind of like kind of giddy about it, um, which is cool. Um, Because I actually think now that we're exiting out, hopefully, out of this pandemic into some more openness, kind of like Gene said, we're going to experience a very different culture. What is happening in Seattle and around the world and and what is happening with people as they consider faith, um, it's going to look different. How church is done is going to look different. How we engage with people is going to be different. And uh, I think our understanding of what it means to be a disciple is important for us to re-understand as we are those people who go and leave this place and go into our community. So we're really excited about it, and I hope you um, stick with us, and we're so thankful that you could be here um, as we think about what this means. Before we dive in, though, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, it is so good to be in your presence. There's something about community, about singing together, hearing other voices, some raising hands when we can't raise hands, and and being in places where there's joy and some of us don't have it, and and encouraging one another in our walk and and learning together and seeing kids, and uh, there's just something about it. And uh, we're just so thankful that even having people engage with us across the country and in other countries, we can join and be the body of Christ. 
And we just pray that you would connect with us today and challenge us and encourage us in our walk with you, whether that hasn't even started yet, uh, um, whether it's just something we're pondering, or whether it's something we've been walking for a long time. Meet with us. Help us to hear from you and respond to what it is you have for us today. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Let's start with a couple definitions, some fun facts, if you will. The word rabbi is a word we hear a lot in this kind of old school language. And in very simple terms, rabbi means teacher or master or even the combo, master teacher. And during the first century AD, the word rabbi was used in a little more informal way than we tend to hear it today in Jewish cultures. In Jesus' day, the, the title rabbi merely signified that a person had this reputation, one of the best of the best, as being wise teachers or sages in the way they understood and translated the scriptures the Hebrew texts and the Jewish traditions. And in Jesus' time, there were rabbis around. There's a number of them. John the Baptist was referred to as a rabbi and had disciples. We know that Paul, before meeting Jesus, was under the influence of a rabbi. Now, the term and the meaning of rabbi and their roles and what they do has evolved a lot, especially since the destruction of the temple in AD 70. But as we look at the scriptures context-wise, a rabbi was a master teacher, a person who understood and applied the scriptures in a way that drew others, that they were wise in their understanding. And they had gone through this process that we're talking about in order to even get to that place. And the other important thing about a rabbi was a rabbi had students, learners, or apprentices that would follow their teachings. And that's what a disciple is in its most basic term. A disciple is a learner, a student, or apprentice of a rabbi. And I want you to hear this connection right from the beginning. You really weren't a rabbi if you had no disciples. And you couldn't be a disciple if you had no rabbi you were following. So there's this relational thing from the very beginning between the rabbi and the disciple. Now, some fun facts about this. The word disciple shows up in the scriptures over 260 times, primarily in the Gospels and in Acts, and is the most common word used by Jesus to describe his followers. The word Christian is only found three times in the Bible. And generally, that was from outsiders talking about followers of Jesus, and they were pretty much not saying very nice things. Oh, you're one of those Christians, which sounds pretty much like today, if you went and talked with someone and said, I'm a Christian, they're like, oh, so you're one of those, right? Not a lot has changed with regards to that. But we get these words interchanged, and we're going to learn some more about it. And in order to learn some more about these words, and their meaning, we got to get some history. But I want us to think culturally for ourselves right now. When a child is born, we have hopes that they will grow, that they will develop, right? And we have an idea of what that looks like. And in order for a baby to born and thrive and flourish, they need to have intimate relationship with someone else. They cannot do it by themselves. They are helpless without relationship. And the hope is that they're going to grow not just physically, but that they're going to learn how to live their day-to-day -day life. They're going to learn how to eat and cook and how to walk and, and how to go to the bathroom and how to read and how to, how to get dressed and how to clean up after themselves and how to get good grades and how to communicate and how to treat others. 
maybe not necessarily in that order, but they, they have a development process that we expect, right, from day one. And it can't happen without relationship. And we even have expectations and, and growth charts that help us determine if a person is growing as they should. My children, when they were born, uh, were very small everywhere, except like my daughter was in the 96th percentile head-wise. Huge head, tiny body. There you go. We have growth charts to say, okay, well, now we look at that growth chart. My son is not the tallest kid in town, but he's following a growth chart, right? If he wasn't growing every time we went in, whether he's growing at the same rate as everybody else, there would be a problem. And the point is, is that the core of humans from day one were designed to learn and grow physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually in relationship with others and with God, always progressing, growing in this process throughout our entire life. That's how we're designed. Now, during ancient times, pre-Jesus, Jewish children were raised learning the scriptures of the Torah and the entire Hebrew Bible. This was a highly religious community. They're longing for the Messiah to come. And part of the development of everyone, and starting with children, they went through this heavily focused kind of spiritual side of life that was very different from day one than our culture right now. The ultimate goal back then was for you to have a child raised up to a place where they got into this rabbi-disciple relationship. Like, that was the ultimate. And we talked about this idea of the word disciple, meaning learner, student, or apprentice. But the problem is, when we hear the word student, we generally think of it in an academic kind of way. Which isn't wrong, that's part of it, but it's definitely not all of it which is why I prefer more the word learner or apprentice, because student seems to talk about intake of content. We memorize something, we learn it, and we have it in our brain, um, and we know the meaning of it as a result. But a disciple was more than a student. It was someone who would fully commit to follow and be a learner or apprentice of the rabbi. And so committing to be a disciple meant you would completely rearrange your entire life around the rabbi in order to become like that teacher in every way and in every context of life for the rest of your life. This is what discipleship was. You might think of it like an apprentice uh, of a construction worker who would show up every day, they'd, they'd follow and shadow that master builder, learn the ways to build a house, including the safety codes and, and how to use all these crazy tools and how to design things and best practices and tricks of the trade, all those kinds of things. But in a rabbi-disciple relationship, it wasn't just a trade you were learning, it was learning a way of life. And so you didn't just learn to build a house by this master builder and then go home after the workday and just do whatever you wanted. Here you'd learn to follow everything the rabbi did with all of his life. And so yes, you're a student, but you're a learner, you're an apprentice, and you're learning every aspect of life with the goal of embodying the very life of the rabbi. 
This is what discipleship is. It's the rabbi-disciple relationship, and it's why we called this series Finding Our Way in Jesus, because we want to be following the ways of our rabbi, who is Jesus. And we want to be ultimately living and growing in the way we embody the teachings and the life of Christ in our day-to-day life. And so back then in this Jewish culture, they started young, educating their kids at the beginning of their life in the study of the house of the book, sometimes around the age of six. And here they would start memorizing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all your favorites, right? All the ones you can't get enough of. And the idea was that in order to be connected, ultimately at some point with a rabbi or a teacher of the scriptures, we had to actually know the scriptures, Makes total sense, right? And so they started at age six, memorizing all of this. And if you wanted to connect with a rabbi, you had to have this in there. So you started this. Then if you did that, right, that's hard. So if a six-year-old went through the process and got through that stage, you would get to the next stage, which is around age 10 to 14, where you would move on to memorize the whole of the Hebrew Bible. We're talking all the first five plus 24 other books. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot. That is, I mean, you lost me at Leviticus, but there you go. There's a lot of stuff, right? And so they're in that process if they made it to that stage. And back then, it's important to know you had a different type of learning. We tend to think about learning and memorizing things. So particularly, like, we teach our kids four plus four is eight, and we memorize it, and we have flashcards, and, and there's that. But we don't necessarily teach the same way they did then, because back then when they taught, they actually taught through questions. So you would say, what is four plus four? And your response wouldn't be eight. Your response would be something like, what is 16 divided by two? they would match the question with another question to get to the answer. And it makes sense when we look at Jesus because he's always asking questions. And oftentimes when people ask him questions, he follows up with a question. And you're like, I don't know that you really answered me. But when we understand what was going on, it's exactly what he was doing. Because there's a different type of learning than simply taking content and putting it in our brains and being able to regurgitate it exactly the same way. By asking questions and responding with questions, it's a deeper type of thinking and understanding of the process. And what's cool is we see Jesus doing this exact process in the scriptures in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. This is when Jesus was 12 years old. It says this, after three days, his parents, they're like, where's my kid? They find Jesus in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Age 12. Now, what's fascinating is that if you got through that stage, right, not just the five, but these 24 books, you've memorized it all. Once you've gotten to the stage around 13 or 14, it was at this place where you were considered pretty rare, right? And you were ready to get into a disciple relationship, and so back then, you would look for those rabbis who you liked, you thought what they're teaching was wise. And you would find that person, that rabbi, and you would approach them. It was a pretty intense 
situation, right? Like, am I ready? Can I do this? I've gone through this whole time memorizing and learning all this stuff. And you find this rabbi and you would approach that rabbi and you would ask them, can I be one of your followers? And if you made it to this stage, you would do that. And then the rabbi would basically have to decide whether you could and would have questions and tests that they would put you through to measure you up to see if you had what it takes to follow this person's teachings. And so they would assess you and ask you all these things. And if you had what it takes to be like this disciple, they would say, come, follow me. If they didn't think you had what it takes, which was more often than not, most people didn't even get to this stage, they would be peace out. We don't actually have that quoted in the Bible where they said, sorry, peace out, you're not in. Um, but that's probably exactly word for word what they said. Um, but man, if your son or daughter was at this place where a rabbi said, come follow me, you have what it takes. This was the celebration. This was the thing. This was like your kid getting into the most prestigious college. They've worked their whole life. They've stuck, and they get in. It was life-changing. But if you never got to this place, maybe you didn't even get to all the stages, which is fine. That's what most people had happen. You went into the family business, typically. Fishermen, working in the, you know, toga company, whatever it was. Uh, because they all wore togas. That's totally accurate. Um, you get what I'm saying. If they didn't get through these stages, that's fine. They would go on and move on. Um, but there was people who went through all these stages, all this work, and would still go find a rabbi and say, I want to follow you. And they'd say, nope, I'm sorry, you don't have what it takes. Now, when we apply this to Jesus, what we see is that Jesus continues to grow and actually becomes known as one of these rabbis. He already was impressing these wise old scripture masters when he was 12. And so he continues to grow. He's this amazing rabbi. And Jesus does things very different from the culture at that time and different from the ways of other rabbis. And we can see this if you look in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. If you have it, you could turn there. This is Matthew 4, 18 through 20. This is just one of many stories. It says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net in the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And so here are these guys, Peter and Andrew, most likely 16 or 17 years old, casting nets at fishermen. And so we know now, because of what we've just understood, that they never found a rabbi that thought they had what it takes. We don't even know what stage they got in. They may never have gotten through the first stage. They're doing the family business, which is totally fine, and that's what they're doing, and that's what Jesus is finding them doing, and Jesus walks up to them knowing this. It's super clear at age 16 and 17 that's what happened, and uses the exact same language that a rabbi would use to invite someone who they thought had the ability to be like them to come follow, and he literally says the same language as any other rabbi, come and follow me. 
And I'll send you out to fish for people using their language, their, their story, what they're currently doing. Come follow me. I will transform the way you live your life. And they drop everything, which is amazing. And if we look at John chapter 143, you'll see basically the same story. Jesus leaves for Galilee where he finds Philip, says the same thing in the same rabbi language, come follow me. Philip does the same thing, drops everything to become a disciple. And we normally would read that and be like, seriously, you're dropping your career, you're dropping all these things. But when we understand what the culture was like back then, this was the ultimate thing to be invited into. This was the thing. And what's amazing is that these guys didn't have what it takes. We don't know how far again they went, but they definitely didn't make it. And no rabbi around said they had what it takes. And so Jesus sees something in them. Jesus does the opposite. He approaches them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. He approaches them. It's personal. It's an invitation into this relationship. It's initiated by Jesus. And Jesus says, I see something in you that none of these other rabbis did. They may not have ever seen it because you never even got there. Jesus says, I see something in you. I see you having the ability to be like me. You have the ability to do what I can do. I believe in you, Jesus says. And he says, come and follow me. Be one of my disciples. That's amazing. And now with all of this, we have a much better idea of what this means then to be a disciple. We understand that to be a disciple is this really big commitment. It's about life change. It's about an intimate, transformative relationship designed to impact the way we live every aspect of our life. And in the context of Jesus as our rabbi, Jesus sees us and believes we can be like him as well, which is amazing. And can you imagine what kind of good news this would have been for those people? This was the ultimate. Now, it's important to pause, and I want to ask us a question because Gene hit on this. What did these first disciples know about Jesus at this point? Very little, if anything, right? Hardly anything. So how much belief did they have in Jesus at this point? Very little. I want us to hear because Gene tapped on that idea of belonging before believing. We're going to get to that a little more. But there's something about being seen and being told you have what it takes and inviting into relationship. There's something powerful about that. And I think we often hear of this word disciple as this person who, who studied their whole life and has all the answers to everything. They re, they've memorized evidence to demand a verdict. And so if you ask a question, they can use this old school way of answering. And like, that's how it is. And if I'm not that way, then I'm not a disciple. But no, Jesus doesn't put them through any tests. Jesus doesn't say, did you get through all 24 of the Bible? Did you memorize those? He doesn't say any of that. If anything, what we could say is what Jesus saw in the first disciples is unbelief. Or maybe open to belief. And that's really important for us to see that, that Jesus isn't working on the same kind of growth chart and scales that we like to think about, right? 
Because unlike our growth charts, when we think of a disciple, maybe I become a disciple at age 50. But there's this kid that comes to church who, who decided to be a disciple at 12. It's not like the 50-year-old has to catch up, right? We tend to think in our educational ways that if we aren't at a certain stage that we failed somehow or were developmentally challenged. But the beginning of discipleship isn't marked by X amount of accomplishments and grades and these things. All it is marked by is you responding to an invitation that Jesus gives to you. That's it. With Jesus, there's no tests at different stages. There's no growth chart, only that we continue to follow, that we continue to grow and learn and become more and more like Jesus as we go. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us in our context, in our situation. And it might not be till we're older in life. It might be when we're younger in life. It doesn't matter. We might go through roller coasters. But the invitation isn't based on this rule here starts at age six and this starts at age 12 and here's where you should be here. It's about a long time life experience of growth. I love how author Caesar uh, Kalinowski describes discipleship. He says this, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolute every area of life. Moving from unbelief to belief. I love that. It reminds me of the story in, in Mark 9, 22 through 24, where this father, his son, is possessed. And uh, let me get there. And uh, he comes to Jesus wanting Jesus to heal his son. And he basically goes up to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, right? And Jesus says, if you can, right? Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the, the boy's father exclaims, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. There's both. And it makes me wonder, what are the areas of our life where we need to move from unbelief to belief. We all have those areas in our life where we need to move from unbelief to belief. And that's part of the discipleship journey in every context of our life. Last week, Greg finished off our After Easter sermon series looking at the Great Commission. It takes place as this after Easter experience as a post-resurrection story and um, it happens after these disciples had just spent three years, day in, day out, 24-7, learning, following, apprenticing Jesus. And they encounter the risen Christ, and his closest disciples are in this experience. And we see in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even in this incredible post-resurrection story, these disciples who've been following Jesus day in, day out for three years, we see in this experience, they're worshiping and doubting 
at the same time. And Jesus has no problem with this. Worship and doubt present in Jesus and no problem with that. Jesus says, as I invited you to come and follow me, just as I came to you and said, you have what it takes to be like me. Now that you've followed me, learned from me, practice my ways as my disciples, now continue as my disciples and make more disciples, teaching them all the things I've taught you and modeled you and shown you. And know I'm with you always as you continue to go in every context of your particular situation, story, neighborhood, you name it. And so we see that Jesus not only believes the disciples can be like him, he then tells them to go make more disciples. Reproduce what you've learned. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were discipled by someone in your walk with Jesus? And when was the last time you discipled somebody else in your walk with Jesus? I think this is a really important question because all of us are here. I mean, we had a story for Greg and Jean and how it had a huge impact on Greg being here, literally present today, because of the impact Jean had on Greg. And we all have some kind of story. What if none of us continue the job of discipling people? What happens? And I wonder if something like that is happening in our culture right now. We've gotten so used to, we just come and we hear this and we go and we kind of do whatever we want in our regular day-to-day. -day. We're not investing in others. We have lost our relationship with others investing into us and we're not producing and reproducing disciples. That's a problem. That can't happen. That's not what Jesus sees in us. Jesus actually says, no, you can do this. And go do it, please. This is a commandment, right? Which gets me to another term that we need to understand. It's not really a biblical term, but we want to be clear. Jesus invites us to be disciples. Jesus doesn't invite us to be Christians, and Jesus doesn't invite us to be the word converts, which is another word we hear. But I think we tend to get these mixed up. See, a convert is basically a person that at some point decided to put their faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. They came to a place where they prayed and they prayed a prayer, whatever that prayer was, owning your need for God, for forgiveness, for God's mercy, acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior. We might even use the language that they got saved. And this, these days, this is often the beginning of our faith journey with Jesus, which is totally fine. But even like Gene said, there's people who are actually started their journey before even doing this. That's not in the Bible, by the way. There's none, that whole thing that I just described, that's not like the, this five steps that Jesus described, just in case we're trying to be like Jesus. We don't see the five steps there, pray this, do that. But there's many people who go through this convert kind of experience where they come to a place where they kind of make it f official. It's like defining the relationship. Here's where I'm at, here's what I believe. But what happens in contemporary Christianity right now is that it often stops there, right? We may go through some of the motions. We come to church. We read our Bible once a year. We pray when things get really hard. Um, maybe once in a while a sermon hits us and it motivates us, or maybe we serve a little bit. What you can see is that these are really much more like a checklist. This is almost like when I say, what's four plus four, and you immediately say eight, and there's zero thinking to it. It isn't done in order to be like 
Jesus. It's not done to be a disciple. It's not done because we're trying to embody who Christ is in our day-to-day life, which is why when we don't do some of these things, we feel guilty, which is why we get in this cycle that feels unmotivating because that's not the way Jesus invited us. That's not the picture. We never see Jesus go up to the disciples and go, did you guys go to church today? Drop and give me 20 or something like that. Like, there's no, nothing like that, right? Um, maybe you were like me. Maybe you became a Christian. Maybe you were a convert in high school. You lived one way and you came to know Christ. You made a decision. You had faith in Jesus uh, and then you totally went for it. You were being discipled by someone on a weekly basis, meeting with them. You were learning to pray. You were learning to study. You had your concordances. You would come and talk about what you're studying and memorizing. You were praying for people and doing things at school to invite other people to do it. And people were seeing your life changed. That's what happened for me. It was noticeable. People saw a difference. Your life is being transformed because you're in this relationship. You're being discipled by other people who've gone before you. You're learning about Jesus and you're transferring it into your life and it's changing. You're becoming an imitator of Jesus or an ambassador of Christ as the scriptures talk about. But for whatever reason, something happens and it either slows down or the process basically stopped at some point. Maybe you stopped being discipled by someone. Or maybe you never discipled someone. Maybe you reached a certain level in your walk with Jesus where you thought, ah, that's sufficient, right? Again, that feels like this, I made it this far kind of place where it seems like, oh, that's, I've got a B plus. That's not how Jesus talks, right? There's never like a, oh, yeah, you made it. It's always a, we're going at this together. Maybe you came across a teaching in the Bible that was confusing or you struggled with and and, and you just gave up. Or maybe you went through a really difficult situation that caused you to doubt God's presence in your life. All of these things are probably something every single one of us have gone through or will go through. There's nothing wrong with that unless it put your walk on hold. And unfortunately, a lot of us had something like this happen and and our faith journey went on pause. Whatever the reason, if we're being honest, is now we understand what it means to be a disciple, we might not describe ourselves as disciples anymore. Or maybe we never really were. Maybe we were just Christians that the outside world would say with a not-so-negative, positive way, right? Oh, you're one of them. Or, or maybe you were just a convert, which isn't a bad thing, but you never went beyond that. And what I want us to hear is that what Jesus is inviting us into is transformative because it's not what the word we think of Christian means, and it's not convert. It's a transformative relational experience. And when we think about it in the unique context where we go, it changes how we see things, how we see each other, how we see ourselves. It changes how we see the people out that we come into contact with. Wherever we go, it gives us a whole different way of living and moving and having our being. That's what Acts 17, 20, uh, 17 28 says. For in Jesus we live and move and have our being. That's the hope of this series, that we come to understand what a disciple of Jesus is all about and not just understand it like four plus four equals eight, but that we actually respond in obedience to the invitation, come and follow me. 
your rabbi. The day in, the day out journey of finding our way in Jesus. That's what we're being invited into. And, and what I want you to hear too, before we close, if you maybe had that at one time, maybe you would have described yourself as a disciple, maybe you currently do, that's awesome. Um, there's never a time where Jesus says, yeah, you tried, it didn't really work out, so he throws the rabbi piece out. Now, he doesn't do that. Like, at any time, we say, yeah, I've been distracted, or I got tired, or I had 17 kids, or whatever happened that changed your world, and your walk went somewhere else. Jesus is always saying, come and follow me as you go. And he doesn't say, you should be at this stage by now. No, he just says, come and follow me as you go. In him, we live and move and have our being. What would it look like if that was true of all of us? What was that, if that was true of the church, if, true of the believers of Jesus that go out into our community? That's what we're hoping to see happen in us here at One Life, and those of us as followers of Jesus wherever we go. All right. Lots to say. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. As they do, um, I would love to hear from you. Um, if you're in the room, you have a connection card on your seat. If you're not already sitting on it, if you could grab that. If you're online, you'll see there's a link in the online platform that you can use. Here's some questions for you I would love to hear your thoughts from. Don't feel like you have to try to answer all of them. Maybe pick one. Um, but it's just a good way for us to follow up and, and think through what this means, and for us to kind of have our own kind of thought process. Um, the band's going to play instrumentally to give us some space to ponder these questions, and then we'll close with a song of response. So with that, some questions. Number one, be honest. Do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? We've given ourselves some explanation, some understanding. We've looked at the scriptures. We've understood some of the history. Thinking about yourself right now, would you describe yourself as a disciple of Jesus and explain. And again, there's not a right, wrong answer here, right? How would you describe yourself? Number two, does following Jesus feel more like a relationship or a religion? We've heard this language for a long time, but we, understanding what a disciple is now, it makes a lot more sense. Does this relationship of following Jesus feel more like a relationship or a religion? And explain. Number three, when was the last time you were discipled by someone in the faith? Some of you are like, oh, I'm pretty old. It's hard to find that. Uh, remember, it's not, you're not being discipled by someone because they have more content than you. When Jesus calls them to go and make disciples, it wasn't because these guys were the be-all, end-all, and they had everything memorized and all these kinds of things. The disciples went on to make all kinds of crazy mistakes, right? It didn't keep them from being able to be disciples. So I just want you to, you're never too old to be in a discipled relationship. Follow-up to that was, when was the last time you were discipling someone? That's a really good question, because if we're followers of Jesus and we're being disciples and it says, go and make disciples, and we're not discipling someone, something's going on there. We should be thinking about that. And uh, last one, what are the areas of your life where you need to move from unbelief to belief? And again, my hope is that that invites you to be honest. I work at Microsoft. It's rare that my faith comes into contact with people I work at Microsoft. Be honest. Okay. 
Uh, when I go to the grocery store and I get into that line with that one clerk who's the slowest checker in the United States, I don't have belief for some reason. Whatever it is, put it down. would love to hear. Because again, there's nothing wrong with that because we all have areas of unbelief and we're just taking a journey where we learn and grow in our belief in those areas. That's what discipleship is about. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of these questions, or if you just have something else you want to share, let me know. Those of you who are in the room, when you go, just drop that in one of the wood boxes at the door. That would be awesome, and we'll get them if you're online. Just fill out that card and hit submit, and we'll get them. That would be great. Last thing, let you know the prayer team is here. Thank you for being here. If you're online, all you have to do is hit the request prayer button, and they will get into a private chat line to pray with and for you. Um, But know they're handling people here and online, so... Um, If you have to wait a few minutes, just be no, they haven't forgotten about you and they would love to pray for you. I'm going to close with prayer and then have some time to reflect and sing one last song of response. Father, Son, Spirit, uh, man, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the invitation that you see in us, not because we've memorized 24 books of the Bible, not because we went through some class or because we prayed a certain prayer, for no reason other than your goodness, your love, and your grace, you see us, and you say, come follow me, because you believe each and every one of us has what it takes to be like you, to be your ambassadors, to imitate you and your love that this world and each of us desperately needs. God, we want to be in relationship with you. We want to learn. We want to grow. And we recognize that there's areas in our life where that feels hard, where we have strong unbelief. And, and we just own that, God. And we just ask that you would help us walk with you. Help us be aware of your presence, your Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go. And, uh, Yeah, God, that there would be something transformative happening in us as we go about this in our day-to-day life. And I'm really excited about where we're going to go with this series, God. So just be with us as we get into our Bibles, as we start praying, as we start looking at this and applying things. Transform us, we pray, and help us to be people that say, I'm going to go wherever you go. Wherever you lead, that's where I will go. Um, That we might be like you. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.